Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Chris Connolly. And I'm Lainey Mays. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Above all, we love bringing librarians and great books together. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, it's Lainey. Welcome back to another episode of Editors Unedited. And we're joined by a seasoned pro, Jessica Williams, who is an executive editor at William Morrow. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you, Lainey, for having us. I'm sitting here today with author Elizabeth Thomas, whose debut novel, Catherine House, will be published in May of 2020. So before we begin, Elizabeth, I thought you could give listeners a little background on the world in which your novel is set. Catherine House is a school of of higher learning like no other. Buried deep in the woods of rural Pennsylvania behind a black iron gate, this school's experimental curriculum and wildly selective admissions policy has produced some of the world's best minds. For students fortunate enough to be selected, tuition and room and board are free, but for the duration of the three-year program, summers included, Catherine's incoming class must say goodbye to the outside world. Family, friends, newspapers, even their wardrobes are left behind. We enter Catherine through our main character, Inez Murillo, a rebellious and dangerously curious first-year student who's on the run from her past and her family and who has no idea how she even got into this school. So when I first read this novel on submission, and I remember talking to you about, it reminded me of the sort of haunting, gothic, sophisticated feel and atmosphere of Sarah Waters, but with that isolation and this feeling of quiet menace of Never Let Me Go. And those are two, certainly two books that I love. I completely adore them. So when I hadn't mentioned that when I was pitching the book, and then when you mentioned those, I was like, yes, got what I was aiming for. (laughs) (laughs) So that's thrilling to be compared to them. Well, so we're pitching this as, well, one, it's for summer, so we're thinking it's a great summer read as modern gothic suspense with a speculative twist. And we won't go too much into what that twist is is obviously but I thought we could talk a little bit more about what inspired you to write this book and to create the world of Catherine House. I was inspired to write it. I I started writing it fairly soon after I had graduated from college and we were just starting to get those letters asking for more money (laughs) of course as colleges tend to do and all of my friends missed college so much and we were all in that awkward early 20s phase and every time we got on the phone with each other it's like oh my god I just want to be back at school I just want to be back um back in those classrooms back in those dorms and it was it was really strange because at the time I don't think we were that happy when we were there but suddenly it had kind of loomed large in our mind as this surreally happy time and so I kind of wanted to play on that idea of um a time in your life and a place in your life that suddenly has this way of being almost a kind of Eden, but in a surreal and sometimes um, menacing way, as you say. Um, So I was playing with that, and then I was playing with, um, I grew up reading a lot of classic novels, a lot of Jane Eyre, Secret Garden, all of those really wonderful gothic, Rebecca, I love Rebecca to death, um, really gothic 
um, really thrilling stories. And so I wanted to combine that kind of classic tradition with what felt to me like very modern um, feelings towards higher education. Well, in your Behind the Book, you talk about daring damsels trapped in (laughs) winding manners, Mm -hmm. I think, which is essentially how we follow Inez, the main character, through Catherine House. I mean, the the place really comes alive through her. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's talk a little bit about, well, one, you were a member of a secret society at Yale, but you told me you didn't really do anything too secret in that society. (laughs) (laughs) I would say that's true. I think... Yes, I was a member of a secret society. I think at this point, there's there's a lot of them. <laughs> it's kind of a se- uh, senior social club. The worst kept point. secret. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think, I mean, some of them are more secretive than others, but I would describe mine as pretty low key. But it was a lot of fun. And I do think that a lot of the um, being in a society like that, which is kind of like a really weird fraternity, mm-hmm. it kind of, it does a lot to create a certain kind of really intense, really quick intimacy. And I, I do think I wanted to um, investigate that idea. Well, and what about that sense of ritual? Yeah. You've created all these festivals that they celebrate at Catherine mm-hmm. House, and the students, their attendance is mandatory at the yeah. festivals. <laughs> but over time, they grow to love them and also mm-hmm. love, they become like bewitched by Catherine House. I think that there's something that's kind of inherently powerful about rituals. It almost doesn't matter what you're doing, but about the rhythms of like certain holidays and certain seasons. I think they can, they really draw communities together and they really, um, they're really powerful in just the emotions they evoke for you and then, the, the, and then having them happen again and again. Um, it creates a kind of rhythm to your life that could just, it could be very powerful. I The rituals in Catherine, um, I had specifically wanted it to not be a, a religious environment, any one particular religion. And so obviously then when you start with that idea, they think, well, then they're not going to celebrate Christmas. They're not going to celebrate Hanukkah or something like that because that's a particular religion. So once I decided that I didn't want, that I wanted to take out religious holidays, I kind of had to think what would non-religious what would holidays be if they weren't necessarily tied to a particular religion, but I wanted them to have the power that holidays and that rituals have in um, a person's life. Um, So I think there's something, even before even saying what they do in those rituals, I think that just having rituals really creates a kind of dreamlike effect in someone's life. So you talked a little bit about your love of Gothic literature, and I think one thing that really defines Gothic literature is often that the house itself plays a character Mm -hmm. and a large role in the story. And for Catherine House, I have to say, like, I think the house might be my favorite character in the whole book. Um, It's dark, it's dusty, it's crumbling, it's isolated. It has this almost castle-like shabby splendor about it, which you Mm -hmm. describe so beautifully. and as I mentioned earlier, we're always following Inez as she loses herself in the like winding hallways and various towers of Catherine. Did you do a lot of research in trying to bring the school to life in this visual sense? I did a fair amount of research. I looked at a lot of photos of um, classic American houses. I looked at Lindhurst. I looked at Whitehall in Miami. And I kind of cobbled together certain... Um, floor plans and uh, certain photographs I had of particular courtyards, particular rooms. Um, Though honestly, a lot of it was 
pure imagination. I think I have a very visual imagination and I could kind of, um, I, I almost piece together various rooms from my house. So it's like, let's see the tea room, you know, let me make kind of like my grandmother's you have a tea room in your house. Well, <laughs> my grandparents did. Oh. They had a tea and music room, which tells a story. Amazing. In itself, I suppose. <laughs> so, um, I, I kind of fit together various places in my life. Um, but I certainly, I'm, I'm happy to hear that it comes across as a character. I found, actually, I was looking through some papers, and I found the first thing I had written um, in a notebook that led to Catherine House. And I wrote, I want to write a story about a girl who falls in love with a house. And I think that, I, I, I almost forgot that that was the, the that one sentence um, led to this whole book. It's like, oh, I think, yeah, I think that's pretty, that's pretty much it. And a really dark and twisted it's not a healthy relationship. Yeah, I wouldn't say so at all. I, and I think that um, it, I, I, I said I want to write about a girl who falls in love with a house. And I just, I knew, even when I was writing, I was like, and the name of the book will be The House because, you know, it's, it's a love story. Um, but yeah, maybe it's my gothic sensibility. I was like, love stories don't work out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that that was just a given <laughs> that it was going to be be pretty dark. So you sort of touched on this when you said that you're a very visual thinker, and I think you're also a very visual storyteller. That mm-hmm. comes across a lot on the page, in part in terms of how you're bringing this world to life. And then I also wonder if, like a writer like Aaron Morgenstern, who comes from a more artistic background, you studied art history and mm-hmm. now work at, at the MoMA. Mm-hmm. And so do you feel like this sort of artistic background, your art history focus made its way into the novel? And just in terms of how you're thinking about visually bringing the world to life? I think it did. I think I, I studied art history in college. Um, I, I specifically, when I went to college, I knew that I wasn't going to study literature. Um, books are something that I understand so instinctively. I didn't, I didn't really feel the need. To, not that I couldn't have gotten anything from literature classes, but it, I did, it wasn't something that I felt I really needed an academic entrance point to understand. So that's why I started studying art history, and I did find um, as I was studying art history and learning this discipline that was so um, it didn't come naturally to me which made it great to study. Um, In art history, so much of the work is learning how to describe the effect that something visual has on you. You know, you look at a painting. Which is sort of impossible. Yes, it's it's, it's kind of this impossible task. And it really shows how if when you're writing an art history essay, two people can have be looking at the same image and describe it in two completely different ways. And you have two completely different conceptions of the painting. And so there, there's a lot, writing has a lot of power in the field of art history because it's kind of shaping um, your conception of visual material. But the visual material also kind of has a life of its own. Um, so I think that as I was learning art history, I think learning how to write really affected my art, my art history learning and then vice versa. I think learning how to describe the effect that's of something visual that really can't be summed up in words, learning how to try and describe it in words, and how to try to describe the effect that it has, the emotional effect, I think that really played into how I approach writing novels. And how did you decide that Ina's, Marillo's eyes were, like it was going to be her eyes through which the reader sees this place? Like how did you find her, the main character? I think, 
I knew I wanted it because so much of it is playing on some of those like classic novel tropes. I was like, it has to be someone who's has a dark past, right? It has to be someone with a dark past. Their, their <laughs> and yeah, and it has to be someone who's just like a little too curious and too like not quite who likes the rules, but is not is not following the rules. She's a little bit of like an. I mean, she's not an every woman, but I feel like the reader can yeah. put themselves in her. I absolutely, and I think that um, that was on purpose. I I really wanted there to be very little information about her background. I wanted her to be kind of a um, mysterious, but not mysterious in the sense that you really want to find out exactly what happened in her background, but more mysterious is and yeah, it kind of becomes this kind of every woman figure. Um, so that that was something important to me. And honestly, there's there's so much ways into she's kind of the opposite of who I am. So I found her actually very easy to write because I would just think, what would I do in this situation? I was like, well, I would sit there and do my homework and I wouldn't, I would not go wandering down any dark hallways. I would stay right there. Or sleeping with everybody. Yeah, no, I was like, no, I was like, I have too much homework for that. I gotta go, you know. It is oh. interesting because they can't talk, they can't talk about their past really. So it's kind of like you're going into school too. Like you can't know about her as yeah, well. Yeah. And I found that, and so. I thought that it was so, I think the, the college setting really lends itself to that because when I was in college, we would talk about our past a little bit, but what you're doing is so, you're so wrapped up in your schoolwork and you're, you Finding know, yourself. Yeah. And the parties yeah. and stuff you're going to that you're not really thinking that much about, you know, what random experience happened when you were in high school or something. You're you're suddenly in a really involved, really exciting world. So I think that the idea of her kind of just completely leaving the past behind, I think the college setting really lent itself to that. Um, yeah, but is she, it, there, she's so much... Not that I'm not a curious person, but I'm a naturally quite rule following. So <laughs> I think that it, it was really fun to write someone who was like, oh, someone told her not to do something. And she's going to do it. Wow. Yes. <laughs> great. <laughs> um, so I, I found her quite fun to write. Yeah. And I mean, Inez didn't really want to go to Catherine House. I feel like in, even in the opening when we first meet her, everyone is just like, we can't believe we got here. We got into the, this incredibly exclusive school, which in some ways pays for everything. So it's very desirable for mm-hmm. students who can't afford to go to school otherwise. But obviously then they have to leave their entire world and their families behind for the three years while they're there. But for Ina's, it's more an escape. Mm-hmm. And so how did you think about this idea that Catherine would be such a desirable place? And was that at all modeled on your own like applications? to like I know you went to Yale, but you said you didn't. Like, were you, yeah. like, desperate to go to the Ivy League? I was not desperate to go to the Ivy League. My dad had gone to Yale, too, and his dad had gone to Yale. Um, so I was a, a, what do you, a double legacy or whatever you call that. Um, but neither of, both of them had terrible experiences there. And they, like, growing up, Yale was <laughs> insulted all the time. And it was not seen as um, a place that my family wanted to go. That's an understatement. Um, but I, I knew I wanted to go to college, though, and I knew I wanted when to. When your grandfather was there, how many people of color were there? Did he ever give you a sense of he, what that was people like? People of color? I'm, it, there, was, there were four black people. And in that, his whole class or in the yeah, whole school? Yeah, in, um, in his class. Okay. And that was a, that was a, a quota. Which I, I tried to find some, at some point I tried to find a source on this. And this was in the 50s? Yes, he was class of 53. And so at that time, they, they had a, I think, an unspoken rule that they had a maximum five black people for, per class. Mac, wait, a, a maximum, maximum four. Maximum four. 
So he, so he was one mm. of those four. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hmm. <laughs> it's, it's oh my god. Great. So I was not. Um, I thought you were going to say like a minimum yeah. quota. Oh no, no, a maximum quota. <laughs> oh my god, that's way worse. Yeah. So, so he, there were four in his class, but that was like they were like, okay, now, now we're done. That's we, we hit four. Um, we are officially diverse. We're, 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 we're diverse <laughs> enough. We've done enough. Um, so that was, so his experience was, you can, I mean, you can kind of imagine that if you're going to a school in which they unofficially, but pretty much officially say. And how recent it. was that? By the time my dad went there, um, there was more than four black people per class. But I don't, I don't know when that officially changed. Cause mm-hmm. I don't think it was ever like written down as an official yeah. policy, but it was certainly, um, it was certainly an unspoken rule. And then... And your dad was there in the 70s? My dad was there in the 70s, and he dropped out. Um, he had... A, my dad um, was a computer programmer, and he started at um, Yale, and he knew that he wanted to work in computers. But their program, it was just the beginning of their computer science. It was the 70s, so mm-hmm. their computer science program was really just kind of starting to get off the ground. And so he was having kind of... He, he, he was... His brain was kind of just moving faster than the school could really accommodate. He, he did not fit in at Yale, to, yeah. to put it simply. Um, so he ended up dropping out, and um, he didn't go back to get his degree for many years after that. He did eventually get it, but um, he dro- went after he dropped out in the 70s. So what stuff. made you decide that you wanted to go to Yale growing up with that I know. <laughs> and it's so bizarre. I mean, yeah, my dad said to me at some point, you can go to every any school you want. You, Me and, my, and your mom will support you. We just want you to have whatever you want as long as it's not Yale. And then I Maybe that's why you're a, a <laughs> yeah. little defiant. I know you are like Ina. Yeah, it's those, the, the one rebellion <laughs> in my life. No, they were actually in the end. They ended up happy I went there. But I think because it changed so much because they had to because the world changed and it's a it's a business. They're gonna they're gonna change to keep up with what people want. So you, I mean, speaking of the the sense of diversity within the academic environment. I mean, you had told me that I think your school, when you were in high school, you were one of only a few yeah. students of, of color. And so then when you were writing Catherine House, I mean, this struck out to me immediately when I first read it was how incredibly diverse the cast is. Yeah, that was really important to me. Um, and actually, so when I was in high school, I would not describe it as a diverse environment, but I realized later that it was more diverse than some other schools. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn, so um, but I went to a, a fairly nice uh, private school, and it was very much a neighborhood school in Brooklyn. Um, as you know, we've talked about how I love all these really classic books, and I just I grew up adore. I I read Jane Eyre over and over again. I read Jane Austen books over and over again. I I, I love classic literature in general. Um, but I was, I never believed that those books were written for me. I, I never, it wasn't like I had an idea that maybe they were for me and then later saw the truth. Like I had no <laughs> misapprehension <laughs> that these books were not written for me. I loved them, but I knew that I was not their intended audience and that my family and my friends were not in these books. Um, so I, I always knew I wanted to be a novelist and I always knew that if I was going to write novels, of course, I'm going to put myself and my family and my friends in them. I'm going to reflect the world as I see it. And I wanted, I very specifically, when I started writing Catherine House, when I started writing anything, I, I wanted to reflect the diversity of my world. But I do think that the world of Catherine House, and really in this book, you only see the college, but in the world of Catherine House, the racial diversity, I think is kind of surreal. The, the uh, amount of um, 
the the way the friends are all various races and they all just hang out together. I think that's some, that's somewhat surreal. I mean, it's interesting to read such a diverse novel in which that is never the source of conflict, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and that was important to me because. I, I think that growing up, my parents did a great job of having me read a lot of um, books featuring black people and written by black people and other races as well. But so much of them then end up being about race, which is also kind of the paradox of it's like, you know, part of the weight of not being white is that you kind of have to address race because it's addressed whether you want it or not. It's part of your life. Um so that makes total sense to and me. Like the privilege of being white is it, that you you can write a story about anything else. Exactly. You don't have to think about that. So yeah. I kind of wanted to um, almost as a, a, what felt to me as a bold gesture is like I want to write as if I could do that, as if I could um, not talk about race. And then in the way, then race, because I then make it in this first way, I would say race is a part of it. But I specifically wanted to say I want to write a gothic story Um and it's not, and I'm a black woman, but it's not going to, it's not going to be about race in a way that feels pat to me, that feels mm. um, uh, like a social science book, which I, I mean, I love reading social science. I love reading about race, but I wanted to write a gothic story that felt, um, that felt like my world. So let's talk about your path to publication. I think you had, was it an eight-way auction? Mm-hmm. Um, four imprints within HarperCollins, and so I remember you came around for meetings, mm-hmm. and Kent told me you knew right away that I was your editor. I did. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I kind of felt like it was a real plan to um, get the novel to be exactly what I wanted it to be. Um, and there were some, some people I met with, because there, there's a lot about the book that's kind of mysterious, and some people want to clear up those mysteries mm. less than I would like to clear them yeah. up. I want some things to be open-ended. I want some things to be strange. Um, so it, I think it's a really uh, fine balance, finding someone when when there's a manuscript like that where there's a lot that's going to be ambiguous and a lot that's going to be a little strange. I think it's, it's tricky finding someone who has the exact same view of how mysterious and how ambiguous it should be. Yeah. Um, so that was important to me. So yeah, I think it worked out great. Yeah. So you touched on this, but obviously you're a longtime lover of literature and books like we talked about. We lived right by the Brooklyn Public Library in Which Parks, branch? The one in Park Slope. Oh, right next to the park? Um, it's like, yeah, it's kind of near the YMCA. It's on okay. like maybe 9th Street. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a wonderful little branch. So we would go there all the time. Um, and I loved, they would have the... Um, uh, library card thing and it had all the like signatures of Brooklyn writers on it just was just like oh Betty God. Smith and oh I was, my God, Betty, that's I was looking at Betty Smith one and I was like oh man I better get my signature all nice and pretty <laughs> so that someday it'll be on a library card I don't know if that's gonna happen at some point but maybe um so I I always like the the image of that library card in front of the library like really looms large in my childhood so you now I mean you work at the MoMA and but archiving. Yes. And you said that is also connected to the library yes. there. So I work in the archives, and the archives and library at MoMA is one department. Like, what does it look like archiving for? For, for MoMA. For, yeah. It's, um, so it's basically managing the records of the museum, which is a really, it's a really weird, really specific job. I, I adore it. But you're, um, 
it's basically, you know, dealing with a lot of old letters, helping people do their research, um, helping a lot of PhD students, um, museum staff, um, all those people basically look into MoMA's old records and uh, tell the stories that they need to tell from that. So I think that that also has somewhat informed my writing in a really kind of sideways way. I mean, I told I chose this job because I wanted something different from, I knew I'd be writing novels, so I wanted something slightly different from what I would be doing um, in my creative work. Learning how to research is an incredibly valuable tool for a writer. It's really valuable. And when you're working with and helping people do research in archives and in library, a lot of it is kind of learning how to tell a story from raw materials. So you're going to ALA with our Library Love Fest crew. Midwinter, Philadelphia. Hope you have a good coat ready to go. I do, I do, and I love Philadelphia, so I'm, I'm... Thrilled. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. Stop by our booth and come meet ya. So I guess Exciting. probably final question, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So final question. Mm-hmm. If Catherine were a real school, would you want to go there? And do you feel like there are any parallels between the world you created, the sort of indoctrination that Catherine does of its students, more like brainwashing, mm-hmm. <laughs> and real world institutions of higher education? I absolutely think there are parallels, and sadly, yes, I think I would go there, which I don't think is the right answer. <laughs> but I think that, um, I mean, yeah, sounds great. You get you get free, hang out with friends, get some free good education. food, free education, what's not to like? So I think that, um, yeah, and you got this great gothic house, you got um, a lot of to look at. I, I, think, I think, sadly, I would go there, but I do think... Part of why I wanted to write is that I think that there's, um, I think there's more tension than people want to imagine between um, that an institution can do terrible things, but people, re- you can get to really love an institution. Mm-hmm. And I think that and both institutions, like let's say a school or like a sports team or something like that. Um, and I think uh, when I was researching for this book, I read a lot about cults and I thought that it was so interesting that people kind of want to imagine that um, everything that happens in a, with everything that, the terrible things that happen in cults they want to imagine that everyone had a terrible time there but so many times when people talk about people who have escaped from cults from survive they're like oh no it was actually really fun <laughs> and so it, it's kind of this it, it's like these things wouldn't work if it were all bad you know I think it, it um, the, these certain powerful close experiences can really uh they really get in your head. They really make you fall in love, and I think that it can be and really dangerous. The one thing Catherine really does is t- teaches the students to think alike mm-hmm. and to not question Catherine, mm-hmm. to love Catherine, mm-hmm. which basically means they'll do anything they're told. Exactly. Except for Inez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of institutions do that, and um, I think because in some ways that kind of devotion, it feels good. It feels like love, where, you know, the idea of not questioning something and trusting something fully um, it's dangerous, but it can it can feel really good to trust something think. that much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if I would go to Catherine. Okay. I like reading about it. <laughs> it's one of those, but you don't know until you're there. Yeah. So if you have it in your mind of like this is where I need to get in. Actually, now I'm thinking about it. Someone who's riddled with student debt, I totally would have <laughs> gone to Catherine. True. If they offered yeah. me a free scholarship. See, and then that's how they get yeah. you. Yeah. True. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for having us, Lainey. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Always nice to have you. Great to have you. Please come to Midwinter and meet Elizabeth. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. 
Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.